Inside the halls of American hospitals, millions of people find comfort, healing, and support. But for many doctors and nurses, this couldn't be further from the truth. This podcast will dive into the shadows of American healthcare to investigate and uncover the abuse, control, and political power plays that leave the very people responsible for our nation's health broken and battered. We're sharing stories of professionals in medicine that have experienced horrendous treatment at the hands of a broken system that does nothing to stop the trauma. As the Association of American Medical Colleges states, long before the Me Too movement, women in medicine have instinctively banded together to counter a culture that too often tolerated harassment. From systemic trauma to abusive power to the unspoken rules of cover-ups and corruption, Mandy Irby and Pinky will take you to the darkest corners of healthcare in America so you can have an inside look at bringing humanity back to medicine. Sensitive content warning. This podcast will share details of triggering subjects such as sexual assault and workplace violence. So if you aren't in a space to listen, respect your mental health and tune in again at another time. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of the Pulse Check Podcast. I'm Kihi. And I'm Mandy. And today we are diving into the topic about abortion care, the recent changes that have happened in our country, how this is impacting people's lives, medical safety, medical access, and even deeper than that, how this is impacting physicians and nurses and the current people who are practicing now, but also future providers. Where will we see this change happen? So I'm super excited. Today, our guest is Melon Medicine. You can follow her over on TikTok. So I think abortion care is something that before now, it has always somewhat been a hush-hush topic. And so a lot of people don't have knowledge. And if they do have knowledge, it's either very shallow or it's riddled and kind of peppered with misinformation in there. So I think recently it's become something that we all need to, to know about. We all need evidence-based information about it. And we should all be thinking about how this is impacting the people in our lives, maybe you as a listener, and then also, like I say, the future of healthcare. So Mel, I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and maybe how the recent changes in abortion care in the U.S. have just kind of unfolded. Let's set the stage for people before we dive into like what kind of ripple effects is this going to cause? Yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Mel. I worked as a doula and a childbirth educator. I kind of got my start in that after I had a very traumatic birth experience with my first. I didn't know what I was going into and I got kind of rolled over (laughs) through the system when I was giving birth and I, it kind of lit a fire under my butt where I was like, oh, there is a whole like lack of education and help and resources. And I want to be a voice in that space to kind of help guide people to resources. So I worked as a doula for a year and a half. And then I applied to medical school because I wanted to actually go and help give care to pregnant people, especially in high-risk situations. So interesting. So you're in school to be an obstetrician. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I'll go uh, four years in medical school and then do a residency, hopefully, if I match. (laughs) We're not sending that out into the universe. 
Yeah, we don't need any any bad energy. No hesitancy. And then go on to do a maternal fetal medicine fellowship. So I'm kind of just in the beginnings of that. But I've been very involved in the birth world, very involved in helping share people's stories of obstetric violence, obstetric abuse, and helping people learn that they can advocate for themselves in those birth spaces. Because there is this huge power dynamic when you step into a labor and delivery ward as a patient. It can feel very scary and very overwhelming. And so I was doing that and then kind of the world got set on fire when when the Supreme Court decision was leaked. I was like, oh shit, I didn't even realize that was going to be a thing. I didn't even realize that was in danger of happening. And that kind of gives an insight of my privileged position where like, I didn't even have to be aware of that. That wasn't even on my radar. Sad, sad to say. (laughs) And then it was overturned and I started realizing how there were already abortion bans in place before the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Abortion access was already being attacked. And you had people who couldn't access that care because they were in a state where they had a long waiting period. And by the time that waiting period was over, they were past the time they could access abortion care or abortion care wouldn't be covered by Medicare. And they were having to fight, fight, fight. And now it was just a free for all where you had states have trigger bans that as soon as Roe versus Wade was overturned, you had states that went into complete bans at a fetal heart tone, not going to call it a heartbeat because it's a fetal heart tone. And so all of a sudden you have these people scrambling to get access to abortion care. And you had people who had very medically necessary procedures being delayed denied, or they'd have to travel long distances to get one if they were privileged enough to have access. And I guess that's where we are now, where people are fighting against these bans and you have people who are doing lawsuits against attorney generals, trying to block very serious abortion bans that would cause a lot of harm. And we're just trying to slowly crawl back and get rights back. Which seems so barbaric for the year 2022 in a nation like the United States that has such a mesh of people and is literally known as one of the best countries in the world to seek life and medical care and support. And literally half the population doesn't have just basic human rights. I think there were a lot of ripple effects that people didn't realize were going to happen. So Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the everyday examples? I'm not talking about the extreme examples that have made all the headlines, but what are average everyday people? I love that you bring up that it's always been a thing because I too didn't know this was a thing until a few years ago. It was because of my birth work that I began to realize it was under attack, but how privileged that I get to live in 28 years of my life that I didn't have to know that, right? It wasn't because of these bands, but this certainly, I think, lit a fire under everyone. But your average everyday people, I think, don't realize what this means for their rights. So help us. Can you paint us a picture of some things that, you know, are impacted by this? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
a lot of what I talk about is the medical implications when people can't access abortion care is we have honestly one of the worst maternal mortality rates for a industrialized developed nation. Totally. And so when people are like, oh, none of these abortion restrictions are going to actually harm people or no one's actually going to die. Well, you're putting them through a system where we have one of the highest maternal mortality rates for black and brown people. It's three to four times more likely that they're going to die. And you are forcing them to take on that risk without giving them an option for themselves. I've been just kind of like listening to just average stories as well. It forces people to rethink whether they want to even go through a pregnancy. That's exactly what just came to my mind is how scary that once you are, you're there, you are committed. There is no going back. There's that choice is not even there. So you have anything that goes wrong at all and you can't, you can't protect your life at all. And so people are getting hysterectomies. People are making those kinds of decisions because they don't want to be forced to go the other way. You have people who can't access basic medications like mifepristone, which is used for other things besides abortion or methotrexate, which can be used for like rheumatoid arthritis. You have people who are of childbearing years who go to the pharmacy, try to get their prescription refilled, and they go, are you pregnant? Are you sure? Okay, well, we can't release this medication until we get verification from your doctor that you aren't pregnant. And then they go several days without this pain management medication that makes their life just debilitated. And so you have like all of these ripple effects that I don't think people realized. They don't, they didn't realize how integral abortion access and destigmatizing abortion was to generalized overall health care. And I think that's because of how it was treated before the overturning of Roe versus Wade. It had to be done in a clinic and not in a hospital. It had to be done in a certain way. And so it made it seem more like a commodity than an actual healthcare procedure than an actual thing that people did for the betterment of their lives and their health. Because in the hospital, we called it something different. They had all these other terms for it. At the MFM office, they call it something different. That's what it is. It's an abortion. It's the ending of a pregnancy. But they would call it. A DNC, anything that's like lighter, not as lighter. Oh yeah. It took me months. inside of an OB LND unit with MFM and a NICU, like we had high risk. We had all the things MFM sending us patients. I was like, am I dumb? Why am I not understanding what you're saying? And it wasn't until I read the chart at the patient's bedside that I was like, this is an abortion. This isn't why did we not their papers. Hmm? Yeah, on their papers, it'll say it's it's an abortion, an induced abortion, but everyone no, talking it around didn't. it. It, it didn't. didn't in the South. It never said that. Oh my goodness. I had to use my not dumb brain. I was like, I I was young. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like not thinking that. And also like I, I was young. So I was probably having to like 
filter through my feelings or other stories kind of coming in, but it never said abortion. And I had to be like, there is potassium in the office. Okay. And now you're here. This, that's what this is. But it like took until I got report and then got all this information. And then I'm standing at the bedside, taking care of this patient who's like, having all these roller coaster of emotions and I'm in the chart in a different place. And I'm like, Oh, we're all on the same page now, finally, because it's so freaking convoluted. The language is convoluted and it's made to feel like it's something different. Like it needs to be something different. Yeah. Even so just not that anyone asked, but even coming from inside of the medical community, it's confusing. You have these, these bills, this legislation that use the term abortion and even defines it as the purposeful ending of a pregnancy. And that applies to all of these situations that in people's minds weren't abortions because they were wanted pregnancies. And you can't have an an abortion with a wanted pregnancy because an abortion is only if you're lazy or you don't care about the baby or if you don't want to be responsible for your actions. Yes, or are promiscuous. Who cares that over half of the people that get abortions are already parents were on birth control or any of these other facts? Right. Because in our minds, in the public's mind, abortion is for bad people. It's a, it's morally bad. And so all of these other situations weren't considered abortions in the public's mind. And then this happened and they're like, oh, I can't get the healthcare I need now. Oh, it's me too. I'm not bad. Me? I'm not a bad person. I'm clearly different. I'm clearly like, and so you have this happening. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that. And do you, how do you think it's being discussed publicly now? I think now a lot of the people who are willing to listen and to understand get it. They've heard the stories. They understand that this is bad. They understand that these bans are harming people. But you do have this small subset where it's just like blinders on. I don't care. No one's technically died yet. So suck it up and get over it, which is always a fun group of people to engage with. But I feel like the majority is, is starting to understand that abortion is healthcare. You have the Guttmacher Institute, which has started reporting on like the public's opinion on abortion. And I want to say 66% over half of the public are in favor of not having these strict abortion bans in favor of people being able to choose for themselves. I think we're going to see a wave because along the same lines of like, oh my God, I didn't think about this. You know what shook my little community's world a lot? I saw this, I think, more than I saw other things. Also, I am based in Boston. So a lot of the things that I see and the things that I hear in the stories and the people that I'm exposed to are, you know, in the New England area. But IVF, people did not realize that IVF and abortion care go hand in hand. And you can't exactly have one without the other. You can, but it makes it really, really, really hard in a lot of aspects. And I think people who traditionally, you know, didn't support abortion care 
on kind of like a moral or ethical level, but we're going through IVF themselves realized, oh, oh my, there's some, there's some interesting overlap here that I've never considered that now I need to access this care. And also I didn't realize that this fell under abortion and I've had this procedure done for many years now. What is going on inside of my heart and head? You know, I saw that happen a lot. And I think there are a lot of spaces in society where people who don't typically, you know, support full rights of medical access to like abortion care do think about it as being an irresponsible woman who decides she doesn't want to have a child that is unreal to me that that you know you know better but does that not make up one of the smallest percentages of people also like what's the definition of a slutty woman i'm not to say <laughs> like what anyone's definition of like i don't even anyway, and it's slutty bad is yeah, it? like, well, who are you to call someone a slut and like make decisions on their sex life? Not me, but if we were to, to be able to determine what a slut was, what is, you know, the percentage of people who do are actually ending a pregnancy because they realize like, oops, we've just made the decision that this isn't right for us. I recently just read the Turnaway study, which anyone who's interested in abortion care and how limiting abortion access actually affects people's lives. It's a fantastic, it's a study that actually looked at the outcomes between people who wanted an abortion and got them versus people who wanted an abortion and were denied them. And so it was the first study that ever looked at like, what were people's reasonings for getting an abortion and what were their actual outcomes? And when people say that people only get an abortion because they didn't wanna raise a child or they're promiscuous, it, it tells me how, how badly they think of pregnant people. You must have a very bad perception, a very, bad judgment on these pregnant people that you would think that they are just callously making these decisions. Every single person who goes through to get an abortion, it is a very well thought out decision. And they found that the reasons that these people gave for wanting an abortion played out in real time when they were denied an abortion. These people suffered the financial loss that they anticipated suffering. They suffered educational losses. They suffered not being able to care for their other children. Every single thing that these people gave. They knew. They knew it was going to affect their lives. And they weren't trusted that that was a good enough reason. And I think boiling it down to people just wanting an abortion because they just don't want another kid is very simplistic and Mm -hmm. kind of reduces these people's very real lived experiences to something that just doesn't happen. These people will have to face the very real consequences of pregnancy, of being forced to raise a child that they didn't want or aren't able to raise. And they know how that's going to impact them. They know how it's going to impact their kids and they aren't being trusted to make the best decision for them, their families, and those around them. And your example of even just the very first example is what put that thought in my head when you said Someone goes, someone either with a uterus or looks like they would have a uterus goes to get a prescription and the pharmacist decides where, where's your grown up? Mm -hmm. I'm going to call your doctor and make sure that you're not 
doing something something like that that's what this all kind of like no offense but like what business is it of yours you're a pharmacist you are not involved in this person's medical decisions unless a physician calls you in and says i need some advice on this or that person has questions for you at pickup but how overstepping is that i personally don't understand how that's not illegal that is nowhere in your job description that's what these that's what these laws do they put it on everybody else's court this legislation it makes anyone who helps someone obtain an abortion that could be the pharmacist that could be the doctor that could be someone who drove them to the clinic they are now liable to some it's like a ten thousand dollar fine and some it's years and years in prison losing their life it was directed by a physician huh you both because they're yeah they're part of that the the doctor of pharmacy that wrote that signed off on that med yeah, if it's labeled as something that could potentially harm, which is a bunch of stuff, then it's not given, which is just further defining how out of control folks with uteruses, medical decisions are. They're being given to the Uber driver who's like, I know you, I know you might have childcare right now. And I know you took today off and I know this and I know that, but I'm not driving you and you're going to have to wait for somebody else. And then you miss your appointment. And then you don't get to go. And then, yeah, the ripple effect that Melissa. Or they heard you on the cell phone say something about it on your ride. You uh, didn't even think twice about it. Or maybe you did. You accidentally let it slip. And they called, they called what? The cops? Who who did they call? The police? What a weird thing. Yeah, I've seen like stories of a mom and her daughter who had their Facebook messages searched through. They will have access to any of this communication and you have to be very careful with who you trust with this information, especially. This is bizarre, you guys. This is bizarre that you can literally call the cops on someone for going to the doctor. Well, that's what Texas was doing before Roe was even overturned. It became a citizen's arrest type deal and you would get $10,000 for turning in someone who had had an abortion. And okay. one way to create civil unrest is to just pit humans against one another when, you know, one party is super vulnerable and needing support, right? It's almost like it was on purpose. Yeah. Melissa, can you shed some light on the discussions that are happening and you made it clear that you have experience in a lot of different sides of obstetric healthcare. And right now you're not a provider, but what are the conversations that students are having, or maybe your professors are having around this topic and the kind of ever-changing status, God, hopefully ever-changing status that we're in right now. Yeah, honestly, I am just in my first year. And so the teachers haven't really addressed this topic, but a lot of the students that I'm with are very passionate about helping people obtain abortion access. We are in a state where abortion access is still available, and we even want to help people who are in other states who need medical care. And so we have students who are going to rallies, they're talking to people. I think, honestly, as a student, it can feel overwhelming as a, what can I do? Like, what can I actually do to help? And so 
we've just been trying to find little ways to talk in our own communities. How can we help our own communities? How can we address misinformation? How can we support people who do need abortion access? I know there's a whole group of med students for choice and our little chapter wants to do abortion doula trainings where we can help people in our area. I do know for medical students in states with bans, they're having trouble learning like abortion care. And so you have residents who have to travel to other states to actually learn these procedures so that they can give that emergency health care when it does arise, but because it's not being allowed to be practiced as often, they don't get the practice. Guys, so what is going to happen? Sorry to cut you off, but no, I had a really terrible, like, that's a Raven moment. What is going to happen when you're in a state, you know, a huge state, let's say Texas, that has 10 providers across the state that know how to do this? Are you going to just see people dying left and right? This is already the way it is. Yeah, people have already started losing access. You have healthcare providers who are trying to leave those states because they can't provide the appropriate access. And then you have trainees who are from that state who want to help. I did write down this little statistic before I came, but it's 44% of OBGYN trainees have lost access to in-state abortion care. Wow. Oh my gosh. That is so scary. (laughs) They don't have access to be trained in abortion care. And so there was a story by an OBGYN, Alexandra Stiles, who she was a resident in Ohio and she had an emergency where this pregnant person needed a DNC, which is technically an abortion. But the other resident who was with her didn't know, had never seen one, had never performed one and just didn't know what to do. And that's just going to be the way that things happen as we're trying to get residents access to this training. Mm-hmm. And midwives are looking at that too. There's there's so much education popping up about nurses and abortion care and what's the nurse's role and just be like, hey, y'all step up. Yeah. We can have an effect. This is how. And we just have no, me, my colleagues, I don't have any idea. I've been asking, I've been going into trainings of what would be my role? How can we do that? Who do we contact? Who's doing the trainings? A lot of them are online, which I value. And that's great. Like we can be stealthy and we can do that, but that's not hands-on. Like I'm not performing a DNC or a DNE that has to be in person. And that is the limitation. Um, but yeah, there's, there's midwives who are looking for it as well. I have friends in midwifery school who are like, yep, I just have to go on this other thing, travel, spend all this extra money, time, extend my education, taking time away from my practice, and learning it, all the things and learning it differently than they would have learned it previously. It's heavy. Man, that is kind of heavy. That is really terrifying to know that nearly half of OBGYNs are not getting training in something that is essential. It's essential healthcare. It is life-saving healthcare and they can't access it because the state has decided that it is not unless it meets their specific moral requirements. I wouldn't use the word moral. I, I wouldn't use, that was like my, my quotes. Unless it meets their like specific requirements that they've deemed to be appropriate. So these people who aren't healthcare professionals right. are now making 
healthcare decisions in lieu of an actual medical professional. And also based on a lot of times some sort of religious implication in a country that again is a melting pot and we have millions of people who do not follow either that or any religion and also religion can't be placed on medicine individuals can incorporate their religion in their medical beliefs but the medical system cannot intermingle like that this is such a slippery slope we are slipping <laughs> slipping and sliding I'm scared i am i feel a tangle of emotion so i'm fucking stoked to see people like you get out in the field i literally have so much hope this is one of the first times actually think about you being a doctor is one of the first times i've had this glimmer of hope of like all right all right, if I have little girls in the U.S., I think they can do it. I'm like, like, okay, I got people that can take care of my kiddos, you know, if I were to have little girls in the U.S., but then I also just get so sad to think about how will you even be able to practice well, you know, when your hands are so tied in so many ways. So what do we think the future might look like? And how is this impacting the people who are actually coming out with the trauma-informed training and that evidence-based approach and truly understanding and incorporating consent into their practice? You've got the solid training. What is going to happen when you guys get out in the field if our laws haven't been hopefully overturned by then? I'm going to be honest, it looks bleak. Yeah. It's, it's not great. We, there was a study published by Texas that looked at the outcomes, the maternal outcomes of those who were forced to do state mandated expectant management of their pregnancy, which is basically what these laws are doing. So you have patients who come in with preterm premature rupture of membranes, meaning their water broke too early, their baby's not viable. And instead of the normal course of action, which is letting the person decide for themselves if they want to try and ride it out or to induce labor, which is an abortion. The state has mandated that unless the person is actively dying, they must wait. And the outcomes of that one, it's a very small sample because we're still gathering data, but they already saw that it increased morbidity from 33% to 57%. Oh, of course, of course, because folks with uteruses make great decisions. Yeah, and so you're making them wait until they have an infection or you're making them wait until the heart tones are gone. You're making them wait until something is literally life and death, which of course is going to impact the outcomes. And so if nothing changes, you're going to have doctors in these states whose hands are tied who are trying to make the best out of a very shitty situation. When you were talking about that, I thought you were going to stop and say the study had to be halted because it was so unethical they could not continue. If forcing people just by a doctor making that decision, but they, it was an observational study based on the laws. Right, based on the laws, but it's the same. It's the same. If we did a study and we were like, Everyone has to lay on their back and labor, and then the other folks can move however they want. That that would never be approved. 
it would not be ethical. If this was an actual study right. that went through like, okay, OB, these right. people are going to be randomly, right. they have to expectantly be managed. And these people are allowed to choose completely unethical no. because no. the outcomes are horrendous. And we're just forcing that on we, an entire population of people. We know that, right, right. All right, Bleak, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think these are the conversations that people need to have in order to realize like this shit is real. This is not about, I just feel like crying. This makes me so sad. I feel yeah. so torn up for our country right now. That is so terrible. It, we People have to pay attention. I mean, yeah. truly what will happen? What will happen when we don't have rights to these things anymore, you guys? Well, we've got a few states that have put it in their constitution. I think Massachusetts is one of those, actually. I don't love Massachusetts all the time, but on that note, I really, I'm very grateful. But it's interesting to have these conversations from all different perspectives, and none of us are um, performing this type of medical care. Yeah. Like we, we have a limited scope here yeah. in this group, but we do have different perspectives and different amounts of knowledge to it. Again, probably limited. We're not doing yeah. the studies we're not but yeah. we have uteruses I do and we have friends with uteruses and families with uteruses we've so we've all seen the repercussions of this too and I think that's super important to share the stories that people can't share themselves right and grateful for those who can and that it's far far worse for most folks we talked about privilege before we got on this podcast and our privileges and our one abilities to have this conversation and our level of safety in this conversation altogether. So I think it's important that our listeners, including us, it is our responsibility to hear this and think about actionable steps. The last thing I want to ask Melissa is how listeners can continue to learn more and where you recommend folks go to for more information. So we'll have the link to that book that you or a PDF, I think you can get it multiple ways that you mentioned already, and then getting more information because our goal is that the wheels are turning. We've heard this a lot, y'all. We've yeah. heard it. We've heard it. We've heard politicians talk about it. We've heard you should vote. We've heard all these nebulous things, but it takes action. It takes money and it time. takes time, time. Be time. I, I don't like that one though. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So hit us with what's next. Well, like, what do you recommend on your, on your TikTok? Yeah, I think the next steps are, because I know you don't like time, but it is going to take time for these things to be reversed. And in the meantime, people need to have access to this care and it's going to take people getting that education of, okay, how do I track my pregnancy? How do I track my periods so that I know if I'm pregnant and where can I access this? So I send people to aidaccess.org, which is, I don't know if you've heard of them, but it's a place where people who know that they're less than 10 weeks along in their pregnancy can access abortion pills for a self-managed abortion. And if any, they have doctors for telehealth that you can contact and they will Love take me some telehealth. Is that out of pocket though? Sometimes it is. And if you can't afford it, I believe they have resources. Abortionfunds.org, the national network of abortion funds can also help 
that is another place where if someone's looking for someone to help or looking for somewhere that they can help and they have the money to donate, that is a great place to donate to help people access abortion. Like I said, the Turnaway Study is a fantastic book. The Guttmacher Institute is constantly being updated with data on abortion care, abortion outcomes and statistics, as well as, I don't know if you've heard of Jessica Valenti, amazing feminist writer. She is constantly pulling current stories. So if you want to follow people's real life stories about how being denied abortion care is impacting them in today's time, in real time, she puts out I think like every single day, there's more and more stories that are coming out because every single day people are being denied abortion care. And you do that same thing on your TikTok beautifully. And as you started to talk, I was like, wow, I'm learning so much. And then I found myself seeking out your page to learn more. And as I would find things on the internet, you started to be my go-to point person. And I would then come back and be like, well, has Mel on Medicine talked about this? Because she'll know what this is all about. And so that is actually why I wanted to have you on. I want people to have access to these stories. Mandy and I want to continue to facilitate these conversations. So even when things feel really taboo or bleak, you still know where your resources are, both as like a patient, a client, or a provider, a nurse, a midwife, we want you to know that there are resources out there. No matter what happens in our country, there will always be adjustments just as we're seeing, okay, OBGYNs aren't being trained in this because of different laws. Midwives were like, hey, we'll step up. We're getting trained. Let us check it out. Yeah, midwives are abortion providers often. But yeah, if we're all in the same state, then it's going to be different. Melissa, do you listen to Abortion Access Front podcast? I don't. Oh my gosh. Okay. I have one for your list. I'm putting that on my list. Fantastic. It's funny. Real funny. Not that this is a light subject or funny. None of it is. They're just like the way they present it. And they're very frank and they're long. Very good. Thank you so much for your resources, your time, your info. I have already told Melissa that I can't wait for her to come back and tell us the whole scoop about medical school. (laughs) you're like yeah me too well (laughs) talk about whatever you want but then I'll also be like so what's it like what are you guys talking about that your professors are not talking about this topic because it is actively affecting the management of healthcare and how physicians were in charge like that whole speaking of saviorship right and now it's like they're not they're not even using examples as what if our government decided that they were going to be in charge? What is being in charge? Yeah, I mean, even in even in your first year, I'm surprised, not surprised, but also confident that that's a that's a great spot for students to be activists in when they're feeling energized and like they don't need to learn it from inside of their classroom in order to feel like it's a big deal and it's aligned with their values and also they should be learning about it in their classroom. Gross. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was really nice meeting you finally online and we can't wait to see more of your TikTok on Mel at Mel on medicine. We'll put the links down below and thank you all for listening. Y'all can check the video on YouTube. If you're not there, 
Thanks for the likes and thanks for the reviews. If you are feeling something, getting some ideas, writing down these resources, thanks for the five-star review. It really helps us to reach more people. Until next time, we'll see you on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. Bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for joining us today. We wanted to leave you with a quick stat and something to think about until we see you next time. According to a 2018 report from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, the prevalence of sexual harassment in academic medicine is almost double that of other science and engineering specialties. This presents a serious danger that ripples into patient safety, clinical outcomes, and burnout, which leads to costly loss of talent. How much safer could medicine be if nurses and physicians weren't also battling sexual harassment day in and day out? If you or anyone you know has a story to share, please contact us on Instagram at pulsecheck.podcast. We'd love to share your story.